Copenhagen Legal Tech Lab podcast, where we address innovation and the law from three angles, people, technology, and business. Today, we are here at the Law, Innovation, and Vulnerability Conference at the Faculty of Law at the University of Copenhagen, together uh, with uh, Anne-Catherine Bonnert, the Deputy Head of Digital Currency and Innovation Department at the French Central Bank, Banque de, Banque de France, And uh, also, we, we have the privilege to have uh, with us uh, Professor Saule Omarova, uh, which is professor at the, the Cornell, uh, Cornell University. So thank you very much to both of us for joining us for this conversation about central bank digital currencies, so CBDC. So maybe uh, to start the, the dialogue, uh, Anne-Catherine, uh, if you could uh, provide us a, a, a short definition from your perspective about this CBDC. Thank you very much for having invited me here. Um, I guess that CBDC is quite difficult to define. Uh, there is no real common definition, but I would say that CBDC is a, is a form of central bank money, uh, but on a new digital support. Uh, and I guess we could uh, have two definitions, one depending on the use that is made from CBDC. Um, So if we use CBDC for retail purposes, so for uh, small amounts purchases, then it could be conceived as a um, digitalized banknote. So meaning the banknote is um, in the form of a paper. Um, and this time you could actually pay with this form of paper, but on a digital support, meaning a card or a, a telephone, even a watch. Uh, connected watch. So this could be for the retail CBDC, the definition. And for the wholesale side, um, the definition is even more complex as one could say that um, wholesale central bank money is already digitalized since uh, banks and um, investment firms have already access to scriptural, uh, a scriptural form of central bank money on uh, different payment systems. And this time it would be actually to put this central bank money in a different form, meaning on, for example, distributed ledger technology. And so that they can settle uh, with central bank money, uh, tokenized assets and uh, exchange and have di directly uh, central bank money on their distributed ledger technology. So that could be the definition of a, a wholesale CBDC. Um, on Banque de France side, we actually have worked uh, since uh, March 2020 on CBDC and on both, uh, on both uses of CBDC, as I mentioned before. Um, we first um, did some experiments uh, to see whether a wholesale CBDC could have some, some benefits for interbank settlements. And we, we, we made a call for experiments And we realized we completed nine experiments um, on various use cases. So on payment versus payments, on delivery versus payments, and with different actors. So from the private sector and from the public sector. And uh, we also tested a lot of technologies of distributed ledger technologies mainly. And uh, the idea was to test really if uh, CBDC could have some benefits for, for interbank settlements. And 
what we can do with it, so what are the different use cases. And we tested this um, in the real world. Uh, so the experiments were not always in a proof of concept mode, but really with real assets. And we wanted to see whether the legal framework actually is fit for DLT or not. And we came to the conclusions that some uses, use cases can be done, others need a, a change in the law. For example, settling um, assets that, uh, for example, need to, uh, to be settled via um, a, a central depository. So the law doesn't allow that on DLT for the moment. And um, we really came to the conclusion that CBDC can be technically put at the disposal of, um, of, uh, of banks and investment firms. It works. Um, we can also uh, connect it to traditional payment systems. So it also works. And that it could have really some benefits for uh, cross-border payments. As today, cross-border payments actually uh, have a lot of frictions. They're actually slow and uh, quite expensive. And by reducing the number of intermediaries and by automating um, procedures, you could reduce time, costs, and therefore uh, it could have some real benefits, for example, for remittances. And we also tested uh, retail CBDC with the Eurosystem. Uh, as you may know, uh, the Eurosystem launched on 14th of July last year a, an investigation phase for, for a digital euro. So this time a retail digital euro, so for uh, small amounts of uh, purchase. So for destined to the citizens and small merchants. And we participated to experiments that were led um, by the Eurosystem on, uh, on this digital euro. And we're now actively working with the, with the Eurosystems uh, during this investigation phase that will last until uh, end of 2023 uh, to uh, analyze the different use cases that could be uh, covered. Uh, to see which technical infrastructure we could build and maybe build up a prototype. Um, also see the distribution model, whether banks um, will be involved in the distribution and how. Um, also the different business case and the legal framework. And that's a big part. It's uh, to see if we grant this digital euro legal tender or not and what are the consequences what are the consequences and the risks on financial stability and on monetary policy? So that's basically where we are today. Okay, thank you very much, uh, Anne-Catherine, about these uh, views about both the, the French central bank uh, views and also the, 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 the work that is currently uh, assessed by the, uh, the ECB. Uh, uh, Professor Marova, in, in contrast, uh, uh, what, what is your, your perception on this CBDC debate from a, an academic perspective and potentially also would, could you give us your, uh, your views about the, the current CBDC debate in the United States? Well, uh, first of all, thank you so much for having me here, join uh, both you and Katrin in this interesting conversation. Um, you're absolutely right. I'm an academic uh, from the US, so I don't have the privilege of working at the Federal Reserve. So I cannot really give you the inside sort of inside ball game on uh, what is going on in the US with respect to digitizing uh, US dollar. 
But generally speaking, the debate in the U.S. has been proceeding, at least in my view, uh, perhaps uh, along uh, two major dimensions. Um, so one dimension uh, is sort of similar to what is happening in other central banks. There is this sort of uh, conversation between the Federal Reserve and uh, other policymakers, other regulators in the U.S. on the one hand, and the industry, market participants on the other, with respect to if or when uh, the United States goes down the route of creating a CBDC, the digital dollar, uh, what kind of design should, uh, should the U.S. choose, given the size, the depth, the complexity, and the political power of uh, the U.S. financial sector, right? So that debate uh, involves a lot of economists, um, central bank economists in particular, and it sort of uh, goes along the more predictable lines, right? Do we want to go with wholesale CBDC? Do we want to go with retail? Is it going to be sort of direct or indirect? And uh, the concerns are primarily with uh, basically creating all the beneficial consequences uh, that a CBDC can create, like for example, uh, just like Katrin said, you know, faster settlement, uh, perhaps uh, less friction-driven uh, cross-border payments, uh, and so on and so forth, without, on the other hand, uh, disrupting the existing tools of monetary policy, the existing channels of monetary policy, and also the existing institutional arrangements. And this is where the key is, right, at least to me as an academic, that uh, the CBDC holds that potential to completely revolutionize the institutional structure and the arrangements that we've been living with for decades, if not for centuries. So the second dimension of the debate in the US is a lot less prominent, perhaps. It's kind of more uh, either academic or, uh, quite frankly, sort of on the political activism side. And this, this, this debate is um, about the potential of digitizing dollar as a way of uh, perhaps increasing access to um, central bank money, sovereign money, safe money uh, for various marginalized communities and people and businesses who otherwise may not have uh, access in today's system. And perhaps even making uh, sovereign money truly sovereign, truly democratic. So this is more a debate about democratizing money through creating CBDC and uh, using the convenience, the speed, and the ease of access to technology as a way of basically equalizing economic rights in a way. And uh, the two conversations, the technical one and the, the sort of democratizing finance one, are not always uh, coinciding or they do not necessarily overlap. But increasingly, they have to overlap because the more time passes and the more the Federal Reserve, for example, is uh, you know, signaling that you know, we are thinking about it, we are trying to figure out what design we choose, the more stark uh, the choice becomes uh, as between direct CBDC or indirect CBDC, wholesale or retail. In other words, if we have that ability to provide access to the safest money, the ultimate settlement asset, uh, for everyone, every business, every household, every uh, citizen, for example, why not do it? And that's the question that needs to be answered. And there are, of course, a couple of couple of approaches, right? 
So, so one group of people says, well, the reason we shouldn't be changing the way the current system operates is that, uh, you know, first of all, we may not trust the government to basically run the uh, bank accounts for everybody because the government is a political organization, so they might actually use the access to individuals' finances for political purposes, right? And one can imagine, for example, that if the government doesn't like a particular political position, they might actually start using access to uh, people's bank accounts to kind of force them to change their position or somehow cut them out of financial transactions. So that's one set of fears. Another set of fears is that the governments don't have experience uh, offering, for example, um, accounts and currency uh, effectively settling transactions for retail uh, users of financial services because that's a tremendous undertaking just on a day-to-day -day basis. Who's going to run the IT? Who's going to do uh, know your customer uh, verifications and so on and so forth? So maybe we should keep the private banks and other financial institutions, maybe tech companies, as kind of agents of the central bank in administering that central bank digital currencies. So that's sort of, uh, and of course there is a, a purely political, political economic pushback from the industry itself. Banks do not want to be quote-unquote disintermediated. They don't want to be replaced uh, by the Federal Reserve. And of course the new fintech crypto uh, industry also do not want the government to take over and replace them. Well, on the other hand, the, the group that sort of is kind of um, more supportive of the idea of a direct CBDC issuance. Uh, they see this as an opportunity to actually use the power of technology, perhaps to correct or address a lot of the deep systemic and structural problems in the financial sector that we've seen play themselves out in the 2008 crisis, for example, and still haven't uh, been resolved. So perhaps, uh, for instance, if we have that access for everybody directly to uh, the safest uh, you know, and now fastest money, for example, digital money that is issued directly by the central bank, by the Federal Reserve, for instance, then we don't need to rely on private banks as much. There will be you know, fewer, uh, few, the demand for, for example, bank accounts, bank deposit accounts will go down most people might choose the safest account directly at the Fed. Some people may not, but most people would. And if that's the case, then uh, perhaps some of the concerns with uh, contagion of the risk and uh, private banks, for example, uh, using their access to public subsidy to generate speculative um, trading in various risky assets and then perhaps potentially endanger the stability of the system would be lower. And that would change the political economy altogether, right? Um, so maybe we will not have uh, that drive toward consolidation in the financial sector. So maybe now uh, we'll go back to something like we used to have before the 1980s or even 1970s in the US when there were smaller boutiques that specialized perhaps in uh, underwriting securities and trading and broker-dealer type of business and asset managers would be smaller. And banks, deposit-taking institutions would be smaller also and less powerful you know, and less risky and so on and so forth. So perhaps that is possible. So this is where we are. It's not yet clear uh, what will happen in the next uh, few years. Chances are we will uh, go with uh, some form of intermediated, indirect, 
perhaps perhaps retail um, type of CBDC, but it's not going to be directly available uh, through opening bank, bank accounts directly at the Fed. I don't think there is political appetite for that in the United States. So we shall see how, how life goes. Perfect. Perhaps a, a, a last question for both of you, uh, just about the timeline. Uh, we, we discussed the, the potential uses for, for CBDC. Uh, what is for you the, 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 maybe the, the credible timelines for a, a potential uh, is a prototype, uh, deep thinking or a creation of CBDC uh, both in the EU and the US. For the EU, it seems that the, the timelines appear to be uh, more clear as to the, de the, the next deadlines. And, and from the US perspective, that there was this first report. We, we don't know yet the, the timeline, but maybe your, your perception from both the US and the EU. Um, on the EU side, um, so we launched um, last, uh, last year on 14th of July an investigation phase of two years to, to investigate um, a bit the use cases, the technical infrastructure and uh, the distribution model, uh, like you said. Um, and this, all these analyses, as I mentioned before, uh, should inform the governing council at the end of 2023 uh, where give all the information and the tools to decide whether or not to launch an, a, a realization phase. And if the governing council decides to do so, which is for the moment not the case, it's not decided, but if it decides next year to do so, then uh, he could uh, launch a, a realization phase for that could, yeah, that could last two or three years. So we could end up I'm really using the conditional, um, in 2025, 2026, uh, with a di retail digital Europe. So that's a bit the perspective from the European, uh, from the European side uh, for the moment, of course. Well, um, that's really good to hear that at least you can have some some form of a timeline, right? In the United States, of course, we don't have any timeline. That report that came out from the Federal Reserve, uh, many of us uh, watching the space found rather disappointing on many levels. Um, there is no clear indication that there will be any specific movement anytime soon. Having said that, however, right, there are a couple of factors in the U.S. that kind of affect that timeline. One is that there is um, definitely a shift in the discourse very recently, but a significant shift toward more focus on perhaps regulating and encouraging stable coins, privately issued uh, sort of digital assets that are supposed to be linked or backed by central bank money. So perhaps the sense here is that, look, for the United States, with our very vibrant and strong and deep and uh, perhaps somewhat too strong uh, private financial sector. This might be a political compromise of some sort that uh, would relieve the federal authorities and the, the central bank, the Federal Reserve, of that responsibility to actually take the dive and take the fire for whatever it does, right? Because if we, if we have this thriving uh, suite of stable coins, that they're kind of private, they're kind of existing on the on the current platform, uh, and yet they would be, um, you know, they would have all the benefits of digital assets 
frictionless, fast, convenient, and so on and so forth. What worries me about that, of course, is that there is no such thing as free lunch, right? So whoever controls that, uh, that ecosystem and what that ecosystem of stablecoins would look like will basically have tremendous impact on the Federal Reserve and uh, what it will have to do, for example, to support that system. So the second factor that would affect or might affect the timeline in the United States is one never knows what kind of external push uh, might, uh, might be experienced by the Federal Reserve in that respect or by Congress for that matter. So in the US, typically uh, major regulatory uh, or legislative action comes after some kind of a big crisis or a near failure, right? We don't know. Uh, so right now we're chugging along, we're sort of taking it slow, watching what Europe does, watching what China does, uh, watching what uh, Elon Musk does. Uh, we do all of that, right? But what if something happens uh, six months from now and it creates a major backlash politically? I can see uh, the possibility of central bank uh, or even the treasury perhaps being forced to kind of move uh, toward uh, creating some form of digital sovereign uh, sovereign money. Uh, so who knows? Uh, we have no idea. Another external shock might actually be, well, the EU moves, right, and, and maybe accelerates the timeline or even stays within its timeline. And suddenly the digital euro becomes uh, an instrument of choice for many transactions in the global economy. Would the US stand by and let that happen or would they want to kind of jump in? Uh, so, uh, so these are the factors that nobody can really predict with certainty, but we should certainly watch carefully. Perfect. So thank you to, to both of you for your for our conversation on CBDC. Uh, thank you for having listened to our, our deep uh, conversation. Uh, it was the Copenhagen Legal Tech Lab podcast. Thank you. This is Copenhagen Legal Tech Lab podcast at the Faculty of Law, University of Copenhagen brought to you by the Highest Foundation. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us on social media and your favorite podcast platform.